Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back today. We are welcoming Anna, who I met through the event scene. She actually asked me to keynote her event last March, which ended up being the last time I saw anybody in the real world doing anything. It was my last trip. It was my last everything. And I walked away with so much from one singular event that I I walked away and was like, whatever she's doing, I need to I need to know more. I need to be a part of it. But this last year has been a damn blur. So I'm so excited to finally be sitting down with Anna, having this conversation about not only that event and, you know, everything she's doing, but just your whole story, Anna, is I sat in a car with somebody and they're like, have you ever heard Anna's story? And I was like, I haven't. They're like, you need to sit down with Anna and hear her story. And I was like, okay, this is, so I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better. I'm excited to digest this last year with you and discuss which was for me, the most inclusive event I've ever attended. So maybe let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about that event. Tell me, let share with me what that was and how you came to this place of choosing that level of inclusivity. Oh, thank you so much for that first question. What a really powerful first question. And thank you for having me here. This feels like a very <laughs> bizarre full circle moment because the right? last show I produced you were like on my stage. So now I'm looking at you and thinking, how long has it been? And one way it feels like it was yesterday, but it's actually like it's 18 months or something. I mean, it's crazy how much time has passed. It's true. Nuts. So the event itself, which is called Unapologetically Her, I had produced that for three years. So 2018, 2019, and then 2020, of course, which was our like major moment right before COVID kind of took over. And the event space shut down. And you had Caitlin Bristow had done it the year before me, right? And who had done it the year before that? Caitlin did it. Caitlin was actually our kind of inaugural guest. So she kicked off in 2018 as our first keynote. And then in 2019, we hosted Arlene Dickinson from CBC's Dragon's Den. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And then, of course, we had you for 2020, which was just like a monumental event. And you crushed it. And it was incredible. And we just had such good feedback. 
And the theme of that event was stripped. And what we were sort of doing with the evolution of the event at that time was we had walked women through this three-year journey to really begin to unmask and to uncover and to reveal their true self. And you obviously were a perfect candidate to be on the stage for year three for that evolution. But the inclusivity piece, I think, is really important conversation for so many reasons, especially right now. But I've been... In some way or another, I've been in social justice work for a really long time. There's always been a social justice aspect to my work. My first degree, uh, I minored in women's studies, and I studied actually women in arts in West Africa, women with disabilities, lots of different intersectional issues that women face. And I will say openly and honestly that I actually don't think I was doing a great job of it, even though I was bringing forward real true stories that were raw and intersectional and we were touching on topics that were really expansive. We definitely had, I think year three was our most inclusive event that we had, but there's always work to do, right? And I think that's true for storytellers anyway. It's like when we learn something new, then we adapt and evolve and we take that learning and we move it on. So had there been a year four, I think it would have been even more so. I love that you said that because like I, f- I found that with myself as well when I was like discovering feminism and it felt so inspiring and so like, yes, this is, there's so much to it. And then recognizing how much I liked feminism because it had to do with me and not realizing how many other things were going on and just sort of opening my eyes to more stuff. I actually was a part of a, an event that had an entirely white speaking, it was an entirely white speaking event and the entire audience was white except for like maybe two people. And I got called in for it, called out, called in, whatever you want to call it. I say called in because to me, called in is like somebody who's bringing you into a conversation of change. And ever since that, I had to start causing my own thought hiccups in, you know, if I'm going to agree to go do something, I need to ask about who else is involved, who's going to be on that stage. You had several keynotes. You had several people come and be a part of this experience. And everyone came from so many different walks of life. We, you know, even that drag show was to this day, but not just the drag show, but the conversation around that. There was dancers, there was abuse stories, there was so much, there was, you know, racism and abilities and this storytelling that I had never seen, but left being like, who who am I? Like, this is incredible. Like, as if I'd been looking through the world of, you know, feminism from the standpoint of like, what about me? Like, how do, how am I impacted by this? And yes, like, let's stand up against the patriarchy only to realize like I was still perpetuating this whole level of self, of just bubble self. And, and I think with that event, I walked away going, really realizing that we do come to events oftentimes to learn about ourselves. We come into things and our own storytelling, you know, to project what we're going through and to come into something and have that opportunity, but also have it stacked with a deeper understanding of what so many other people are going through. And it be capped off with like this party that we all just sort of celebrated it at the same time. I mean, I've had 18 months to kind of relish in that last event, but I just, I loved that I, you know, when we, when the team came to you and was like, okay, what's, who's, who's on the panel? Who's all this? And then hearing how it wasn't even like, 
oh, you're right. We do need to add more, you know, people of color. We do need to add more like diversity to it. You're like, no, here's the whole lineup. And I was like, this blew me away. And I love that you said, you know what? It would still be more. Your four would still be more than that, right? And I think that's such a cool thing because we can't get it right off the bat. It has to be this learning journey. And how has that been for you sort of through those, um, through events and sort of being the face of an event and sort of answering to those questions Choosing that inclusivity, I'm sure, also creates a bit of a spotlight on getting it right. How how do you do with getting it wrong? It's not traditionally something I do very well with. I am a recovering perfectionist, I like to say, and I go through kind of ups and downs and ebbs and flows on that journey of really trying to course correct my own perfectionism because it centers me in the dialogue, which is the antithesis. It's the opposite of what we're trying to do when we're advancing these dialogues. So I often like I'll have my moments of fragility where I go, oh, I should have done that better. I should have done. Then I think just take the word I out of this. Storytelling in general, which is what I do, is less about talking and it's more about listening. And I go back truly, and I think of this, I'm fascinated. I'm kind of a nerd study about stories and language and I love language. My major was actually English. So I've always been kind of in language and words and I love exploring that. And I look at literally the um, origin of language itself in human beings and the nature of language, why we even develop language at all. There's a lot of theories around this, but one of the most prominent ones, of course, is that it was for group cooperation. So at some point, members of the group would go out, they'd go hunting, they'd go gathering, and they would learn something. And so language became our tool and our channel to actually take what we learn from our past and deliver that message to the team or to the group. And then the group would then learn from that. And so language and imagination, future imagination, being able to predict what might happen if we do this again, comes from listening to past experience. So I often try and like, I I take that in when I feel the perfectionism rising. And I think I need to learn from other people's past lived experience or what good is storytelling at all. That's the whole nature of why we do it. So I sit back, I try and just quiet that voice, that perfection voice and the fragility voice. And I say, this is not about you. That's the whole point. It's really about creating cooperation. And it's really about bringing people together in connection in order to meet common goals for ultimately for our survival. Oh, that was so cool. Well, I'm a perfectionist. I'm, I want to say I'm recovering, but I'm, I'm still in it. And you know what? People pleasing and perfectionism. I'm actually not, I don't know if I'm a perfectionist or if I'm a people pleaser. I think probably a, a slight bit of both. So dear women everywhere, let's start a fashion revolution. Old Navy is changing the shopping game with bought equality. Bought equality means size equality, price equality, and style for women everywhere. That's right. Old Navy is making every one of its styles in every size with no difference in price because we deserve it. And our sisters, moms, and friends do too. So back in high school, I couldn't shop where my friends shopped simply because they never sold my size where they shopped. Our family, well, we used to travel to Old Navy, which was two hours away so I could get jeans that fit and looked good. It changed everything for me. 
When Old Navy came to my town, it meant I could shop the same place as my peers, which was a huge confidence boost. And well, now things are changing again with Old Navy in a way that brings shoppers and friends together even more. Old Navy's body quality started with you, the customer. Old Navy read thousands of product reviews, conducted thousands of interviews, and even went on shopping trips with real customers to hear what you had to say. And then they really, really listened. If you're tired of ordering multiple sizes online to try on at home because a store didn't carry your size, Old Navy has heard you. Now every single size from double zero to 28 and extra small to 4X is carried in every single store and ready to hit the fitting rooms with you. If you've ever seen something you loved and thought it was straight up rude that it wasn't made in your size, well, Old Navy has heard you. Every one of their women's styles is now made in the full range. If you've ever thought, whose body were these jeans made for? Because it certainly wasn't mine or straight up that jeans are Satan pants. Pretty sure that's my quote. Old Navy has heard you. Their designers looked at everything from pocket placement, waistband curvature, and so much more to create jeans that celebrate your shape. Bada quality means that now in every store, you'll see mannequins in multiple sizes and online you can see styles you love on models in size 4, 12, and 18. It means consistent and comfortable fit for every size, double zero through 30, extra small through 4X. It took years of work, tons of revisions, thousands of people, including customers, to create this fully integrated shopping experience. That's Bada Quality, a revolutionized shopping experience for women everywhere. See oldnavy.com slash Quality for additional details. Styles subject to availability. Now let's get back to our show. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. I want to kind of go back. I want to go, you know, I've been told you have this incredible story, but I I want to go back into how you got to what you're doing today, which is a lot in the world of storytelling. But let's go back into how you came to do such an unconventional job. Um, I don't know anybody. I've heard of storytellers. I've never heard somebody who actually helps somebody in their journey with storytelling and how powerful that is. But I want to hear your story, I guess. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And it's so funny. You say, I have such an incredible story. And you said at the top, somebody had said, have you ever heard Anna's story? It's incredible. And I literally had, this is my perfection, people-pleasing thing come up. I'm like, oh my goodness, so much unworthiness. This story is going to suck and nobody's going to think it's interesting. (laughs) Like My story for me feels right now, because the story, we always say the story of how I came to be. It's like this one moment of time, right? And that moment in time for me now, because I've told the story so much, first of all, it feels really boring. It feels really (laughs) mundane. Like, oh, it's just that story again. But you mentioned the word kind of unconventional. And interestingly enough, my job, I had a corporate job that was incredibly conventional. I worked in banking and finance for many years. And after I had a two-year-old daughter, so my baby who sang You Want to Stage at Unapologetically Her, so she was two at the time, that's my Ava. 
And when she was about two, I had received like a pretty great promotion and I had been given a great job in management in the corporate world. And I was set. I was ready to go. I was ready to roll. I had always been super A-type, the perfectionism coming up all throughout my life. I was kind of the, I don't know, I just painted as sort of like the golden child. So I always had that hanging over my head that I had to do something really great in the world and make lots of money and be super like whatever. And I had a car accident when I was about three months into this Skookum job that I was super loving. And that car accident, which sounds incredibly boring now that I say it, was for me at the time, incredibly traumatic. It's still very traumatic. It's hard for me to even remember it and remember the smoke and the fire and remember how my body felt in that moment, remembering my daughter rushing up to the scene and screaming and crying. And there was lots of really, really, really scary things that happened. And my trauma, I had a trauma that came out of that, that resulted in chronic pain. It resulted in depression. It resulted in um, extreme post-traumatic stress where I was having panic attacks regularly. And I mean, anyone who's experienced a trauma will know these things, right? These flashbacks and hallucinations and all the things that take over your body and mind. Um, But what it revealed to me was so much more about how trauma is really layered on other trauma. There are other things that happen in my world. As an example, my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was only 23. She's had cancer now and she has terminal cancer. And we've been dealing with that for 15 or 16 years in our family now, and she's still fighting. So There are multiple things that happen in our world, in our life, where trauma begins to layer on itself. But what was true for me is that I had never spoken about any of it. I had always put on like that golden cap of positivity and tried to move forward and power through and do all of those external things, the conventional job in order to define my story, my role, my identity. And when all of that was taken away from me, I had no job. I had no role. I had no identity. I was literally left with nothing, sitting there in the saddest version of myself with the most pain I'd ever felt, family planning that was put on the back burner with my physical health that had deteriorated, my mental health that I couldn't even comprehend what was happening inside my brain and and my mind and my body at that time. And I fundamentally went into secrecy. I went into shame around that. I didn't want people to know that this A-type corporate professional had depression. I didn't want people to know I had anxiety. I was terrified of those things. And frankly, I was in judgment of them. Otherwise, I wouldn't have assumed other people were. And I really didn't want those diagnoses. I didn't want that to be a part of my story. I wanted to be perfect. I really just wanted to be perfect. And that, in my mind, made me really imperfect. So my unconventional path was quite literally by accident. I was an accidental entrepreneur. I just started telling story because at the time and back when I first launched the 2018 event with Caitlin, I was like, God, we just need to talk about this shit, right? I need to talk about stuff and stop being in shame and secrecy about my own mental health. So that's really where it started was this conversation about really digging deep into the wound of trauma and really talking about the wounds of mental health and talking about how that affects women And at that time, it sort of coincided with the Me Too movement. So there was a lot of stories that were rising to the surface for women at that time, and mine became one of them. 
But what I noticed after I shared my story on stage, not only was it cathartic for me, and there's there's therapy in that, right? There's so much. We know this, and science will tell us this anyway, about trauma healing, about being able to share your story. Um, but I had so many people come up to me, so many women, and say, I want to tell my story. I want to tell my story, but I don't know how. I don't know how to write, which is always a barrier for people. I don't know how to get past that confidence. I don't know how to feel like a polished speaker. And my response at that time was like, gosh, nobody wants a polished speaker. We want you. We want you. What is polished anyway, but some kind of infrastructure that we've created, some story we've told ourselves about what a real speaker is and what a true speaker is. And what I train is to cultivate your inner truth and to break through shame and secrecy in order to better serve the cooperation of the group or the connection of the group. And hence, full circle, having someone like Sarah Landry on your stage who just kind of puts all of those pieces together and caps off that moment. This is where, you know, I have memories of that event last year where there were several women sitting on a stage. And just to kind of give everyone listening this visual, they were sitting on a stage sort of uh, with their chairs facing. We had no idea what was about to happen. And one by one, they begin to tell their stories. And you felt like, you felt it in your chest. These people that you just looked at in a room and, you know, sometimes we create storylines for them or maybe think about what they might be or who they might be. And then as they stood there and they shared their trauma stories or their triumph stories and the way that they said them, and then to know that they were part of like your storytelling program, it was just incredible that these people sat their whole lives or however long with this these things rattling around in their chest and in their body. And what that reminds me of is I remember what it was like to have post-traumatic. I remember what it was like to have a story that you couldn't get out and what that does to the body, what that does to the mind when it just sits inside of you and rattles around with nowhere to go. And I often speak this quote, everyone listening is probably like, oh, I know it's coming. (laughs) But once a secret is told, it loses its power. And I think when we think about this, we all have a story. And for so many reasons, we can't share certain parts of it, or there's parts that we, you know, hold to our chest. I, I have parts of my own story that only so many know. And Everything else is sort of just when you're trying to practice on sharing it, it's the scariest thing in the world. Somebody's listening to your story and it's your it's your whole life. It's everything. It's a lot. How has it been as you kind of work with people through telling their stories that like, you know, like I said, we're hearing it. it I think about social media all the time when you see a post and you read this whole thing and then you double tap and move on. You're like, that took that person probably six hours and a lifetime of experience to get this one thing out and we double tap and move on. But that day and listening to those women on that stage as they shared their stories and recognizing the how much they'd been carrying and that we just got the opportunity to sit and listen to it even for just a moment. But as you work with them through it, how is that experience as people are kind of discovering how to tell their stories? Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I I sort of can and I can't in the way that I actually feel like there's no words to even maybe describe what it is like to be in, in witness to story. And when story actually evolves and when we peel back those layers and we see what's really happening, I mean, that is, it's something I can barely describe, but those out there that are listening to this that know, or if they've had that experience, and I always say, go to, go to a group, 
Like it's really difficult sometimes to, to do this on our own, especially when there is a trauma story and storytelling in general too. I mean, it doesn't have to be a trauma story. You don't have to have trauma in order to have a story. But what I have learned in many years of doing this work now is that pain becomes our catalyst to purpose, right? Nobody reinvents the wheel because the wheel is still working. But when something stops working, we have to tap into what I call the three essential energies of the soul, which is creativity, wisdom, and love, right? We have to tap into our creativity. We have to start seeing a new way of showing up in the world. We have to show up as something new. We have to change the way we do business or we do life or we do relationships. We have to change that. And so our fundamental creativity kicks in. And if we're tapped into that creativity and then we're drawing on the wisdom from our past experiences, and then most importantly of all, we stay in love, which sounds really hokey, but what I mean by that is service, right? We're actually serving with our story. We're seeing that there is a greater good that can come from sharing our wisdom with the group, right? Going back to that origin of language. When we put those three pieces together and then we move forward, that's why we see that pain often becomes the jumping off point to storytelling and purpose because it literally taps us immediately into our creativity, our wisdom, and our service. We want to help. And I've said this actually on a recent podcast that I did. Um, on my own podcast, I was talking about this, rambling on for an hour about it, I think, about um, the storytellers that come through my program. Almost all of them, almost 100% of people when they come through the program, I say, why are you here? That's really key for me. Is like figuring out why are you here? And almost every single one of them says, I want to let somebody else know that they're not alone in their pain. Like that's profound that it brings us to this calling to share. So I think that among so many other things is a really inarticulate way of explaining to you the power of witnessing story and witnessing people actually tapping into their deeper purpose as storytellers and becoming these greater missions and these movements. It's so powerful. So, so powerful. Have you ever heard of Elemis? I certainly did through one of my favorite influencers who has the best skin. So obviously I listened to what she's talking about. Elemis is the number one luxury British skincare brand that believes in truth and beauty. For over 30 years, they've introduced decadent formulas that respect the skin while delivering truly remarkable results you can see and feel. They have a foundation in aromatherapy, a belief in science, and a passion for nature. The luxury skin wellness brand has created powerful results-driven products in skin-friendly formulations for over 30 years. Elemis is globally recognized for harnessing the power of nature's finest actives, high-performance delivery systems, and revolutionary technology to create skin-friendly formulations that deliver results you can see and feel. Elemis believes in skin wellness, proven results, feel-good skincare, and transparent innovation. So like I said, I'd heard about them through somebody I follow and talks about her skincare and talked about Elemis. And one thing that kept coming up consistently was their pro collagen cleansing balm. So that was the one I tried. Elemis was really amazing. They sent me a jar to try. And let me tell you, the hype is entirely real. It's amazing. It has this really unique transformative texture that kind of melts away every bit of makeup, grime, 
daily impurities for a soft, smooth, and glowing complexion. It nourishes as a balm, but it easily removes makeup as a cleansing oil, and then it hydrates as a cleansing milk. It kind of feels like a spa in a jar. It contains a gorgeous blend of nine essential oils, including lavender, chamomile, and eucalyptus. And there's one for everyone. If you're looking for the pro collagen cleansing balm, you can get it in original rose infused, and there's even a new naked one, which is fragrance free. I love pro collagen cleansing balm so much. I want you to try it too. For almost 20% off, visit elemis.com and enter code the papaya 20. You're going to enjoy 20% off full size products. That's elemis.com E L E M I S.com and enter code the papaya 20. And you're going to get 20% off full-size products. Now let's go back to the show. I love the saying that not everything happens for a reason, but good can come out of everything. And I think that for anybody who's experienced pain, you there's part of you that wants to make a, a purpose out of it. There's part of us that like needs to alchemize it into something like this can't be for nothing. It couldn't have been just me for whatever reason. And and I want to ask you this because I'm the kid that at church camp in the summer of what was it? 2000. I made up a story about myself because everyone was giving their testimonies and they all had these like very exciting stories about like their to me, it seemed exciting. Obviously, when people go through things, it's not exciting. But, you know, they had these things like car crashes or, you know, family things happening and all this stuff. So I just made up a story because I didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like I had one. Well, life gave me one eventually. So that was interesting. But I know a lot of people are like, I don't have a story. So what would my purpose be when I really don't have one, I've had a very conventional life. I've had a very, you know, normal upbringing. Nothing's really happened to me. Relationships are good. What about me? And I'm sure you've had this happen before. What about people that feel like they don't have a story? Yeah, this is, uh, I hear this all the time. It's probably one of the main things that I hear when somebody feels called to come to the program. And I think you're called to at least reach out. So there's something in there. There's definitely something in there. But my gut response to that and my answer is like, you are a story. Like you don't have to have a story. That's an attachment to something external, right? That's an attachment to something that happens outside of you. You, as you are, are a story. You are here for a reason and you have observations. You have um, anecdotes, personal lived experience in your life that you are attaching great storytelling to something really catastrophic or something really big and, and massive is actually not what storytelling is about. And I often say that good storytellers go inward and they share their personal experiences, their personal feelings about those experiences, what they've learned, but great storytellers go outward first. So they look at the world and what's happening around them and they ask themselves, how can pieces of my story versions of who I am, what I've learned, my feelings, my lived experiences, my learnings actually serve this moment. And sometimes that doesn't have to be in front of a microphone on a stage in front of three, 400 people. It can literally be in conversation on the couch where you're listening to story and developing more observations as well. So you sitting and observing somebody else can be a part of your story as well. We are all stories. And I say this and with kind of my spiritual cap on, one of my 
other certifications. And after my trauma, I had to dig deep and figure out who the heck I was anymore and kind of edit my own personal story and figure out where I was going to go. I did a certification and training with Deepak Chopra. So I went down to the Chopra Center and actually got certified in his whole health program. So my lens is very, it's based on the collective consciousness and really looking at the way that we can view the world and observe the world and see what's needed and then plug in what we know and how we can serve that mission. So if we just ask ourselves that question, it can really take away some of that ego-driven attachment where we want something big and shiny, right? When really we just need to be exactly who we are with our own personal lived experience and just say, I am the story and how can I serve? That's all. And I have to say this, some of my favorite people to follow are people who just tell the story of their everyday, like how they got up that morning. And I just love watching people do their skincare. I love watching people wrestle over, you know, something chaotic that happened that day or the glass that broke all over the kitchen floor. There's something beautiful in the mundane. And yet we, we hurry it aside. We shove it aside and we say, this isn't important enough. It's not shiny and flashy and beautiful enough. It's not, you know, big enough. It's not a headline news because that's what we assume a story is, is something that we would see in the headlines. And the reality is our lives are just a constant flow of a story. It just depends on if you are willing to share it or not. And there's, it's so interesting how people will genuinely connect with something truly mundane because it makes them feel less alone in their own mundane. I know that there's you know, there are certain times I I will hop onto an Instagram live and somebody's just like making their dinner and just like chatting with the people in their audience. And I'm like, why is this so full of peace? Why does this make me feel so less alone? And why is this so engaging? And you think like, these are people who get it. These are people who get that like, there is so much beauty in the non-story, in the, you know, in the ones that aren't the big headlines and whatnot as well. So I really like that you said that. And when it comes to, you know, storytelling and like motioning it, do you find that like a lot of people really grapple with, I find I, I do this a lot, with the just the right intent all the time. Like there, there always feels like there has to be like this full circle moment for what, why I know I kind of touched on like the why me part of it and finding like that purpose, but using it in a way that it can really become a collective. And and I guess I ask you this because there's certain things that I do to make sure that it's not just a me thing, but what are some things that you find are really powerful in storytelling And I think this is important even for anybody who uses Instagram and they want to share something about their lives, how to be, you know, how to do it in the interest of the collective and not just, you know, serving ourselves. Yeah, that's such a big question. And I talk about this a lot in the speaker training program about sharing versus oversharing and what that actually looks and feels like. And sharing, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about here. I'm so glad you brought this up. Sharing really is in service to the collective right? And we know we get that calling. You'll know when you have that message where you say, I have something to share and I have something that I want to say about the thing that I see out in the world that seems troubling, right? I see a problem. I kind of want to be a part of that solution. So your story fits in and it plugs into that solution. So that is sharing. That's when we step in and we say, this is how my personal lived experiences can really help and can really serve. Now, there is a catharsis in that. Every time we're talking about things that are painful, we go through our own healing too. So we get like sort of the added bonus of that being part of the process. But then oversharing, I would say oversharing is when we are still seeking 
for our own personal approval, acceptance, acknowledgement, affection, validation, we're still looking for somebody to say, me too, to you. We're still looking for somebody to say, do you need support with that? Right. And that's when there's nothing wrong with sharing story in that space. And I want to be really clear about that because there is a catharsis in storytelling. And I think nobody should be in their shame and secrecy. If they need to talk about things, we should have it out there in the world and you should do what feels right. But if it starts to feel like you were waiting for somebody to say, I accept you, I approve of you, right? Then it's possible that we need to go inward a little bit deeper and figure out where we can find that acceptance and approval inward first in ourselves and meet that fundamental need before we ask our audience for that. Ana Luisa is so different because they are a carbon neutral brand. Their day one goal is now a reality. They're the first direct-to-consumer jewelry brand to become carbon neutral. Since founding in 2018, they've considered, tracked, and evaluated the environmental impact of every aspect of their company, from sourcing to shipping to office life, with the goal to get their carbon footprint to zero. That means all of the CO2 they produce with the creation of the jewelry, running the business, and shipping the orders has been counterbalanced with the same amount of oxygen. They've offsetted all their carbon emissions since January of 2020 and are now completely carbon neutral, meaning they sustainably give back for everything they take. Think of it as a fair trade with mother nature. I have quite a few pieces of Ana Luisa now. You see me wearing their bracelets almost every day. I stack them up. They're incredible. And I have some really simple earrings that are kind of staple in my accessory wardrobe now as well which I absolutely love. And you know what? Gift season is coming upon us. So as you listen to this and as you consider and learn about Ana Luisa, think about all the different gifts you could do for a significant other in your life. And I'm going to make sure that you have a way to do it with a little bit extra because I absolutely recommend Ana Luisa. Right now you can go to shop.analuisa.com slash papaya. And with their pieces that start at $39, you can get an additional 20% off with their summer sale. That's shop.analuisa.com slash papaya. And I'm going to spell that out for you. A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. One more time, shop.analuisa.com slash papaya. With pieces starting at $39 and you can get 20% off with their summer sale. Let's get back to today's show. I love that you said that. And I have a follow-up question because I feel oftentimes, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, is that we figured out who we are. We we know a lot of what we want to say, and we're pretty confident in that opinion or that voice that might be said, but you're going into like this battleground, I want to call it almost, of social media where you know not everybody is going to agree with you. And that's a lot to take on sometimes. So you'll get up there, you'll get to the point of like saying the whole thing, recording the whole thing, and then you go, ah, delete. Can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Is that a form of imposter syndrome? Or is that us genuinely acknowledging how difficult it can be sometimes to also share, even if you have confidence in what you're saying and you fully believe it, can still find that like, you know what, There, it, it's it's too hard to contribute. How do we find that line between 
honoring that boundary and pushing past that like imposter syndrome feeling. Yeah. Or that people pleasing, you know? So good. You don't There's, have to have the answer to this. I just like a conversation around it. Yeah. I, I do this, this a lot. I do this a lot. <laughs> I do. Everyone thinks I share everything, but I'm like, you have no idea how much like ends up on the cutting room floor. Cause I'm like, how's this going to go down? I don't think I could do it. There's certain topics that I just, I think the last year has shown us certain things that I'm like, I'm not even, I'm not even in a mental space to take this on. So this sucks because I've got something really great to contribute to this conversation but I don't know, I have the capacity to hear an audience about it. Like it's, it can kind of hiccup your storytelling, you know? Absolutely. And it depends, I think, what your goal is too. Like I, the words that were coming up for me as you were talking were, oh, it sounds to me like you're honoring your boundaries. And you even used that terminology. You said, what's the difference between honoring boundaries and then having imposter syndrome? The difference is a job of whether or not the, it's a job of storytelling, if that's your job. And we have to move through kind of the inner work of figuring out, am I honoring boundaries or does this really fit into my business model? Or is this something that's messaging and serving my audience in such a way? Um, but the deeper question from sort of just a personal perspective, or if we're doing kind of personal care, is I think tap more into the boundary honoring side of that question. I think it is. My gut reaction says this is absolutely and with certainty a, a boundary situation. Brene Brown talks about this a lot with kind of the sharing versus oversharing. And when we go into our vulnerability and courage, we don't just go into our vulnerability and courage with anyone. We go into our vulnerability and courage with people that can hold that story for us. And the social media audience and the social media landscape as you probably know, I barely know. I don't have a huge following, but you know that not everybody is there to hold story. There are a lot of people there that are still healing from their own stories or in their own pain and can't have no capacity to hold your story for you. So if moving through the imposter syndrome, maybe we just relanguage that. And I'm just offering, I've never even thought about this, but I'm offering dialogue kind of in the moment here. I wonder if just stepping into that realm of compassion and saying that person doesn't have the capacity to hold my story right now. This isn't about me. This is really about them and where they're at in their journey. And maybe at some point, two years or three years or five years from now, I will affect change in their life. But right now I need to honor my boundary and not share this part of my story with this particular audience. I'm going to share it with a friend on the couch with some coffee. That's That I think is incredibly wise because I guess I get hiccuped on this a little bit because of just imposter syndrome being like that pause of, do I have value? And is there something to contribute here versus if I contribute, how am I going to be you know, ostracized from this? Am I going to get canceled? Am I going to have this, that? Like These are normal thoughts that I think people have just come to fruition with. But Sometimes I think what I find difficult is just feeling like that's like there's always a stopper. There's always a stopper. Like it feels like there's big brother now. And if your whole life, like we say, like if you want to get good at something, you got to be crappy at something. And if you want to learn something, you got to be wrong at something. That's a really hard world to enter into, especially reflecting upon your own journey. Like, you know, there's so many times we see people get called out for a past experience, even though that they've learned and lived and grown from that. And it's like, we take their story and we throw it back in their face and we're like, no, we're sorry. We want you to stay exactly where you were. And we're going to condemn you. We're going to condemn you for that. So much so that I think a lot of times we almost like prejudge ourselves. We catastrophize what it might look like to share our stories and how people might judge us. 
forgetting how much the projection side of things and the projections of their own conditionings might come into play. I mean, I'm somebody who grew up incredibly modest. I was very like big on that. But I realized for my own self, a big part of my shame was my body. And slowly in sharing parts of that and detaching myself from this idea that I am inherently sexual and by sharing even a little bit of skin that is going to cause harm, right? And really having to unlearn things in order to share new things and create what I wanted to do, this message that I wanted to have. But there's still so much pause sometimes because I know I'm going to be met with people telling me to cover up. I know I'm going to be met with people who are like, you could say this message without having to show it. And I'm like, I don't think I could. I honestly genuinely don't think I could. And I don't find joy in all of this stuff. I find it purposeful and there's a bit of a difference. So every once in a while now you come into like telling that story again or sharing that certain thing and you do it and you're like, I'm so confident in what I'm doing. I'm proud of what I'm doing. It's going to be great. But I also know I'm going to have to face Black. I'm going to have to face hardship with people who have told their story through their program for your, through your program. A lot of times their story is layered with somebody else's story. And that can be really complicated. What do we do when our story is woven with somebody else's and find space for ourselves to, and I think that's, this is where a lot of people get stuck is I really want to tell my story, but I don't want to hurt so-and-so. I really want to tell my story, but I know my family's going to hear it and I'm not ready for that part. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think that that's, that's such an unspoken thing that a lot of people are sitting with stories and they can't share them. What do you do when you can't share your story? That is such a great question. And I love this entire conversation, frankly. It just really, I mean, part of what we're talking about, I think, is like how to move our story out in the world. And what I keep what I keep coming back to and what keeps kind of arising for me as, as I listen to you talk is I want to sort of impress on people that are thinking about becoming storytellers or speakers and are having these questions come up and are wondering the same things and those, those same fears coming up is instead of asking, how do I do this? It's like, why am I doing it? Just come back to that place, right? Because that's what I do for all storytellers. And I, I help authors through self-publishing agency as well. And we, we really get to the heart of why they're telling their story, why they're writing their book. And a lot of people know how to do things. They just don't know why they decided to do it. Why did I decide to be an author? Why did I decide to be a speaker? Why did I decide to share this story is the big question. So if we come to that answer with ourselves, why am I actually sharing this? Who am I serving? How can I serve? What is the deeper intention of actually putting this message out in the world? Oftentimes when we get real clear on that, and even if we have to do it through meditation and really get clear on why we're doing it, often it has nothing to do with the harm that somebody else caused us and has everything to do with what we have learned about how to heal. So the theme of that, the themes of that can come through in multitude of ways. And I'll share an example that I share usually during the speaker training program. And it's kind of a funny and, and silly one so that we can kind of take our personal stories out of it. But if I want to talk about um, teamwork and family ties, and I'm thinking, gosh, I can't tell my family story because and, and where that trauma came from because my family is a mess, or I'm going to tell pieces of someone else's story they're not ready to share, or that they're still on a journey with, or that they're ashamed of. Listen, I have that too. And there's a lot of things about my personal past that nobody knows other than the core people in my world and life, my friends, my family, my therapists. Nobody knows those things, right? So God bless therapists, all the therapists. 
Um, but there are lots of things, but there are themes that pull through that I can share about family ties and cooperation and connection by sharing a story about watching a family of raccoons cross the road. And I can share an observation from my life that ties the same themes in and say, even though I might not be talking about, you know, Uncle Bob, who was horrible and did something at Christmas dinner that we don't want to talk about. Um, That's not my personal story. That's a random example. But if I can't share that piece, maybe I can share an observation. Maybe I can share a different piece of my personal story that still serves the mission I'm trying to serve, which is that I want to talk about the power of family connection and cooperation and how a team of raccoons can get across the street together by following each other and by watching like the one in the front watches for cars for the one in the back. And there's this downline approach. So I can tell an observational story beautifully and still talk about the power of the theme I want to convey to an audience. And so what feels really true for me as I'm saying this, and I'm kind of thinking it through stream of consciousness with you right now, is that if you're struggling with that, really just go into the clarity mode, go into meditation with it and say, why am I actually telling this story? What's the deeper theme? And maybe right now I can't tell this version but maybe I can tell a different version and still be able to serve the same mission. And if I need to heal the other part, if I need to kind of trauma purge, right? We need to like do the trauma purge and talk about the things that have harmed us or the people that have harmed us. Maybe that doesn't necessarily happen in a book or on a stage. Maybe that happens elsewhere. And there's another school of thought that would say, you know, if if they don't want to listen to your story on a podcast or a stage, they don't want to read your book, they don't have to read your book. They can choose to move on and they can choose to tell their version of events as well. So I think there's no right answer here, but I do think hopefully that's given people something to think about as they yeah, move through their storytelling. That's, and that's all I really want is like to for hope for those who feel really trapped in circumstances as to why they can't tell their stories. Because I know there's so many and I know people who have mustered the courage to tell a story that's been sitting in their chest for 13 years only to, you know, lose the approval of their own mother. That's a scary reality, right? That's a, that's a very difficult thing to face when you know that you can create great change, that you could create impact, that you could do so much with this experience you have. And to know that you can actually find other ways to do it. There's actually one part of my story that I've never shared openly, but yet all the time people will come to me with this very question about it. And I'm like, how did you know? Because I think that within our stories and the way that we speak and move through this world, when we have certain things about us and these lived experiences, I do think that it imprints on other things. And I think that the people who are meant to know it and meant to hear it, they they hear it anyways. They do hear it through your storytelling in different ways because there's no rhyme or reason why anybody should assume anything of this part of my story except for the fact that they slide into my DMs and they go, I don't know why I felt like you might understand this. And it's like, what lines are you reading between that you figured this out? So I think a lot of times we think it has to be so overt and so obvious that X, Y, Z happened and here I am now. Instead, because it's part of our lived experience, because it's part of who we are, because we move through this world in certain ways because of those things, other people probably have too. And they start to recognize it, right? They start to connect and click. And if you do tell that story through a family of raccoons or whether you you figure it out with um, you know, a, a pretend story or a pretend person or you relay somebody's story who 
what I know I've done this before where I've heard a story that was very familiar to mine and I can share theirs because it connects, but I just say, this is such an incredible story. I want you guys to hear it. I think that there's so many ways that we can tell the story without telling the story. And I think that there's, yeah, there's, there's so much to storytelling too. There's, it's, it's much more layered than, you know, just getting up on a stage and telling your story. What are some other ways that people have used storytelling in their everyday life and world that you've seen that benefit for? That's not maybe on a stage or in a book. Yeah. Great question. This is, I think, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I think is just these dialogues around inclusivity and these dialogues around kind of dismantling caste systems and really starting to share stories of lived experience. And when I train speakers, I will often say, this is something I say like a broken record all the time, but when we're training speakers, we're also training audiences. When we train storytellers, we're also training listeners. So the more that we talk, and this is the this is my hope for our world when we share trauma stories, that we are also shaping audiences that can collect them and can hold them better as well because we're starting to create a dialogue around things that we normally wouldn't talk about. So um, I do think that there is a power in creating a sense of listenership as well. So how do we sort of move through and begin to actually listen to stories of lived experiences that are not our own? We don't center ourselves in these caste system stories. For example, as a white woman, that's not a story I'm going to tell, but it's certainly a story that I'm going to listen to. So we can do more of this kind of storytelling back and forth, listening back and forth in our personal lives, around the dining table, in our living rooms, even offline, like right before you and I even hit record, there was five minutes that we could have shared story or we did share story in there. There's lots of times in our world that we forget that we are fundamentally a story, that everything we do is a story. And we know it and we memorialize things like with your baby, with Lemmy, for example, you'll take a picture of literally every mundane event in her life, everything. And you'll memorialize it for yourself because it's such a powerful memory and she's doing such great things and there's so much learning. And yet in our own world, we're like waiting for something massive and sparkly and or catastrophic to happen before we memorialize it. You're so right. Right? We're just not really sharing ourselves as the story. We are the power. We hold the story. We have so much information in our systems. And this is, I'm probably going to get this wrong and I'll have a scientist call me in on this, but I think we turn over like 300 billion cells a day or something in our bodies. And at the end of like a three month period, we have regenerated and recreated enough cells that would basically be like the makeup of a whole new human being. So every three months, we're like something new. Our bodies change, our roles change, our identities change, our stories change, who we are changes. And we're forgetting how incredible that really is. And how monumental a one-month or three-month period really is in just our general human lives and our survival. And to go back and have that sense of gratitude and like compassion for who we are in each and every moment, no matter how mundane those moments are, no matter how unworthy we feel on a given day, how big those moments are and start, you don't have to snap a picture of it like you would with your baby or, or, or something, but you could just journal to yourself or you could just literally put your hand on your heart and say, like you made it through today. What a big moment. And like how much learning and information you get from just even this conversation, you and I, you and I aren't going to be at the same after this conversation. You learn something new. I learn something new. 
we take each other's energy and information and we like adapt and we move on and we become something new and brighter and stronger and, and like just so much more informed. And that in and of itself is so magnificent. It reminds me of Oprah Winfrey when she was on the um, We Are Supported by episode of Armchair Expert. And she says, like, we have to, you have to get quiet with yourself. Like, what is your opinion on things and how much we rely on the opinions of others or how much we'll listen to 20 podcasts without taking an hour to listen to our own thoughts. And then to take you, just even the memorializing part, just to kind of cap that off as like a takeaway thought for so many people listening we do take pictures of very monumental events, but think about it. They're always something like beyond graduation, which is a school accomplishment of a sort or athletic things. We pretty much have, you know, getting married, getting pregnant, having a baby. We attach our stories to successes, especially as women. We attach our stories to this a line of expectations and these checkboxes of life that suddenly it's really hard to find purpose in your everyday. Like, why would I take a picture of myself? Why would I go, when have you ever hired a professional photographer? And when has it ever been just for you? And think about it. It's because we've created value around what we think is valuable. And a lot of that has to do with family, jobs, career, bank accounts, all the, like our homes. We have so many tiers of success and there's so much lost in that because we truly are the story. I've written posts on that. You know, we right now, Gen Z would love to take credit for, you know, main character energy. But realistically, we have to remember that everything else is a is a subtitle character or a supporting role. Like we are the leading person in this entire journey. And we need to write the story that way. We need to talk about it that way. We need to make it not that. I am a mother, I am a wife, I'm like, I am a motherfucking this, that, and everything else. Yes. And then also, I ha- I need to change my bio. Man, I'm just waking myself up right now. <laughs> I definitely have wife and mother in there. Whew, jeez. <laughs> you know, though, like we really do take ourselves and we encapsulate who we are based on our accomplishments instead of who we are. I'm I'm a nice person. Sometimes I'm funny. Like I can write really well. I can emotionally connect with people. These are, that's who I am. My children are, you know, I can only hope will move through this world with the learnings they have from me and they're going to learn their own things and they're going to project them into the world. They're not my, I read something the other day. It's like, your children are not your legacy. They're their own story and their own people. And I was like, gosh, dang, I got to stop telling them that they're my legacy. (laughs) You know, like you forget, like we, our story is not an external thing. It really is who we are in the lens we view this world and how we, how we work to change that lens and make it better every single day with more clarity and taking time with ourselves and our own damn thoughts. Anna, I need to know from you, people listening, how are they going to, you're out West, first of all. So if they want to get into storytelling or just getting it out of the rattle in their chest, how are they going to start and even tap into what you do? Uh, Thank you for asking that. Uh, I am out West and one of the big blessings and benefits, I think, of the pandemic has been that uh, my business had to be pivoted online. So now, instead of coaching speakers in the speaker training program 
in my studio here in Langley, I do this online. So I've had speakers from now from the US, I've had them from uh, Eastern Canada, and they're still arriving on these virtual stages. We are opening up our audience in such a big way. So unapologeticstories.com has kind of all the information about what I do. We are going to bring back events again. That's kind of the big thing that we're now looking at with the world sort of opening up again. I'm paying really close attention to people's safety, of course, and making sure that it's comfortable and safe for everybody. Um, But we are going to be putting, I'll never stop, frankly, putting speakers and stories on stages and giving them microphones. And one of my core beliefs is that there should be no education without opportunity. So everyone that comes through the speaker training program performs in front of a real audience. That happens every single time, has to be done. Um, But ultimately, I just believe that storytelling is our birthright. We are, as you say, we are a story. Storytelling is our birthright. It is who we are. It is why we are here at all, to share our stories. And uh, a day in the life in the speaker training program is just getting beyond those roles and identities, the wife and mother thing that we always have. Or for me, it was like corporate professional. And getting really beyond that and figuring out who are we really. And when we know that, when we strip that back and ask ourselves that question, when we get quiet, as you say, we figure out that we are so much more and that we have so much more to say and we have so much more to contribute and we are so worthy and so beautiful. And a day in the life is like watching a light bulb be turned on for yourself. So you understand not just what is your story, but why are you telling it? Mm. And then we just plug in the how. And now this is how to do it. So we have the speaker training program. It's a four-week virtual. And you join and we just go through this magical process together. And at the end of it, you stand on a stage or you're on a virtual stage and you share your powerful personal story with the world. And it is profound and beautiful and healing and magical and all things. And it is for the listener too. I'll speak to that from experience. It it is whether you're a storyteller or listener. And I love that you say that that's a big part of storytelling is listening I think that that's something we all have so much to work at because we always want to create experiences for ourselves within everything that we're hearing. And instead, just letting somebody else's story change your lens just a little bit, whether it's with compassion or whether it's with righteous anger, whatever it might be. Um, It's such an important thing to think and talk about. Anna, thank you so much for your time today. I know we could have talked about this forever. Forever. Um, I really, really appreciate you and all your expertise. Like I really threw some questions at, we did not plan this at all. I threw some questions at you and you were like, okay, okay. Listen, I'm like, I'm deep breathing over here. I'm like, I feel so nervous. So hopefully I I gave you some value, but it was so great. So, so great. So for everyone listening, I'm going to have everything for you in the show notes, but you can go check out unapologeticstories.com. Find out more about this program. If you feel that calling that maybe it's time to tell your story or you want to get involved in another way and you want to learn more about what it is to tell a story and knowing that you are ultimately the story anyways. And uh, I'm just, as everyone listens today, thank you so much for taking that time and space to consider everybody else's story, how we can be better listeners, how we can be more inclusive, and also how we can get that rattle out of our chest and start telling our stories in a big, real way. I'm just rooting for all of us with this. So thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will see you next week. 
Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.